A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, you meatballs. Welcome back to the Poe Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Poe Hitter, coming at you with a fantastic podcast today. Um, just want to give a shout out to Mr. Dylan White from the last podcast and all the wonderful feedback that I've been getting for not only him, but the podcast itself. Good that Dylan is getting some props out there. It's much, much deserved today. I got a chance to talk to Eno Saris and Derek Van Riper of the world-famous Rates and Barrel podcast and The Athletic. And it was an awesome conversation. Um, this has been about another, you know, long time in the making. Schedules always don't work out. And finally got a chance to sit down with them and um, go over a range of topics, uh, some of the new shift uh you know, new MLB rules that are coming out next year, the shift, the pitch clock, stolen base stuff. Um, so we just review a little bit of that, and uh, we go over some several other topics, uh, pulled barrels versus oppo barrels, some kind of guys that we're looking to um, be aware of, of their tendency to spray the ball in certain directions, and um, yeah, we talk about Shohei Otani, you know, talked about his uh, Stuff Plus metric, and he announces a brand new uh, world-breaking news on the podcast, which was pretty awesome to hear, um, which you'll hear when the podcast is played, and yeah, we get into um, everything. It's a wonderful podcast, so hope everyone enjoys, and um, it's having a wonderful holiday season. You're spreading joy and cheer, right? And you're not being a big disgraziad. Which, if you're not Italian, means something bad. But, or miserab, too. Don't be that either. Don't be a miserable person. Ever. Got a lot to be happy to be alive and breathing every day. So let's try doing that instead of fighting each other every day on Twitter. Smarten up. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pole Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D, the dead pole hitter. I'm here with two special guests, two men that um, pretty much had my ear when I first started listening to heavy fantasy baseball podcasts and made me aspire to want to get into this realm myself. And I uh, just want to first, before I introduce you guys, say thank you. Um, huge inspiration, huge motivation, especially during the COVID times. You guys just rolled out content that kept my brain flowing and kept me healthy mentally through that whole time. So I appreciate you guys, Mr. Derek Van Riper and Mr. Eno Saris. How are you guys doing today? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for the kind words. Those were uh, difficult days and uh, difficult to turn out content, but we 
kept the lights on somehow. No, yeah, you guys really did. And uh, it's uh, just part of the day to just going outside and let my dogs run around and just throwing you guys on the headphones. And it's, uh, it was big. So, and uh, you guys are, you know, you guys are the gold standard here in the podcasting fantasy baseball industry. So actually, um, I just wanted to know how you guys got into fantasy baseball and then eventually into fantasy content. Sure. I'll go first on this one, I guess. Uh, I started playing fantasy baseball, I think, in 1997. Uh, I was one of the few kids in middle school that actually had internet at home. We had to dial up. We had AOL. and uh, Sports Illustrated for Kids had a salary cap fantasy game back then. So that was the first time I ever played fantasy baseball. I uh, played a little bit of fantasy football with friends, actually, in eighth grade and through high school and everything. So that goes back just about as far. Uh, but I think... For me, like when I started playing more competitively, I started at Rotowire in 2005. It was the senior year for me at the University of Wisconsin. I started as an intern there and just met a bunch of people that liked sports and numbers as much as I did and really kind of felt like I, I found my people. So that's about the same time I started doing content too. I never thought that I could do anything close to what I had as a hobby for a full-time job until I started that internship. 17 years ago now That's you beat awesome. me <laughs> you beat me started before me i think i mean i i count sort of like baseball cards as part of the process so that you know that was back 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 and i'm older than derek that's why i'm a little surprised that you beat me but uh to fantasy <laughs> baseball i started playing uh i think that, that i remember 2002 <gasps> Um, I was getting a master's uh, at Stanford and uh, most of my friends had just graduated and left. Um, and, and so I had a, a hole in my, in my social schedule uh, and, and beautiful Wi-Fi. So basically what I did was fired up all the, the lime wire and, and uh, all the, all the music downloading uh, with all the Wi-Fi. Uh, and then uh, while it was all downloading, I would uh, research my my fantasy baseball teams, and I I dominated with a strategy of uh, never pick a starting pitcher until round ten. Uh, and so that was that was my early my early strategy was nine hitters before I had a pitcher, uh, and uh, worked really, really well back in the day. But uh, you know the 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 market caught up to me, and I can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, you can do it right now in these gladiator formats. Uh, you know, uh, pitching pitching is getting pushed down a lot in these leagues. Um, I don't know if you've seen the ADP at all. I was just talking to Derek about it pre-show, and I mean, I I did a draft, and Spencer Strider lasted all the way to almost the wheel of the third round, and uh, I got the Grom Wheeler in the fourth. I mean, the fifth Scherzer in the sixth. No one wants to take these old starting pitchers. Um, but it's interesting. It's um, really interesting so because you know, with the gladiator <laughs> format, you don't have a bench for right. No bench. So I would, I'd almost say that's like a little bit of a reason to maybe bid up pitching. Right. Because right. you can't, you can't play the matchups. You can't have a bench full of starting pitchers, you know? Yeah. There's some people doing like seven straight batters and some people doing, you know, like wow. take advantage of that and like, you know, countering with the the pitching because I think, I think the, you know, um, you don't want to have those landmine pitchers. You don't want to be forced to, you know, draft a guy who's not going to, you know, be comfortable with. I think you're trying to avoid like the Tyler, the Tyler Mollies of the world and definitely Nick, Nick Pavetta. Um, definitely yeah, right. that yeah. <laughs> but even with the guys like Max Scherzer, he's just, 
feel like um people are worried about the injuries and injuries. that's fine but like i was my whole thought too is in in a draft and hold or even fab leagues we can hurt ourselves by substituting a pitcher for when we lose a guy like max joseph like our ratios are going to get worse you know so now you don't have the opportunity to so you might see you know you might see some teams with really super low eras if they have three or four outstanding pitchers and some of the other pitchers maybe get hurt you know and they don't they don't pitch many innings it's just it's an odd format but um they probably don't fun. have a high innings ma- uh, minimum right it's 125 so i've seen a guy take nine relief pitchers yeah <laughs> except then you have the volatility of the relief pitchers i think in that situation i would I would buy the the injured aces, the possibly injured aces. I think that they become better options. Like you said, you yep. you basically have a reliever type team, but you might get some wins instead of the saves. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why later on in the draft, I'm really focusing in on some good spec arms like Jason Adams and Evan Phillips, just to have some good ratios. And you know, not you don't need all the saves. You just need maybe one guy to get you twenty, twenty five, and a couple other guys to get you eight, and you probably get you like middle pack. You know. A third, a third of the the saves in every given season are on the wire. So, yeah, and there is no wire. So that's why it's right, interesting. Exactly. You'll see, yeah, like, so yeah, you forty see saves might win you the league in that category. <laughs> yeah, and there's some people that uh, double tapping, you know, um, closes in the first two rounds, and and for the league, these guys might be playing for the overall, but in your individual league, the second guy might have thirty, and you'll have eighty. <laughs> it's like you don't yeah, need all. Right. You don't need <laughs> yeah. all those, you know. Um, Okay, so last year, how did you guys do in terms of uh, your fantasy leagues? And I just wanted to know, like, what worked, what didn't work in terms of uh, roster construction or, um, like, anticipating what what was going to happen last year with the run environment. Did you have any anticipation of what it might be? And what did your team suffer because of your, um, like, all of us kind of misjudging what was going to happen? I think it was probably my best all-round year of fantasy baseball so far, and I think the only the only footnote that was a negative was that my my highest entry fee league was the the auction championship at the NFBC, and I didn't cash there. So if, if I had just got my money back in that league, it would have been an amazing year, and it was still a very good year because of how everything went across the board. Uh, one of the common themes of my teams last season was that I wasn't going to the very top of the board with hitters. I was trying to focus more on $25 and $30 hitters in my core uh, to get a little more balance throughout that group of players to not be as dependent on $1 and $3 bats in the end game. And I kind of shifted my pitching strategy to be more stars and scrubs where in an auction scenario, I was trying to go pocket aces where possible um, and then take advantage of things like Eno's pitching model and all the bargains I could maybe find later on to round out my roster, um, leverage the fact that in season so many quality pitchers tend to come into the league that maybe I could stream effectively, but even find some guys that we just weren't expecting to be in the big leagues for very long to be really effective players. So I think that was a big thing for me was just having this sort of like hitter heavy, but like super balanced approach as opposed to a full on stars and scrubs build across all of my rosters. And I've tried a few different things. You know, I tried having two elite catchers on a few rosters that happened to work well. I have to do more digging to decide if that was just, having the right two catchers or if that was actually a, a real advantage that I can take advantage of in the future. Um, we did like a few teams where it was two elite closers. I didn't feel like those teams turned out as good. And I think part of that was just the opportunity cost of giving up on some pretty high quality bats or even some really good starting pitchers that were going in that round three, round four range. So 
Um, I think that's probably one of the strategies I was trying early last draft season that I'm not really interested in deploying again uh, in 2023. It's it's funny that you mentioned, you know, um, it was one of my questions, like with having a bias of how something might like worked for you. And if we tried again this year, it's like, I feel like so many times in the past, I've always said that in my head, like, oh, uh, I had GTR on every team that cashed, you know, but was it because of JTR? Because I've hit everything else, you know, that mattered in winning, you know, it's, it, and that's why it's good to look back. You know, it's good to really look at why your team won because you could easily say, yeah, I double tap closers and it worked. Well, did that work or like what else, you know, everything has to fall in line in order to win a league and not just one thing. So that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, I had a, an interesting year. Uh, I set the uh, the record for uh, points in AL labor uh, and had like 115 and a half out of 120 points. So that was a high mark for me. And, um, you know, then I had in NFBC a, a kind of a middling year. And, you know, I, there's one decision that comes to mind uh, that kind of encapsulates my year on NFBC, which is in the last uh, the last FAB period in my main, um, my first main, I chose, uh, I don't know why I think I had, there was like two steals. If I had, if I got two steals in that three, three game period in that last week, um, I could have gotten a point and I could have taken it off of the first place guy. And I was in second. So I thought, you know, I'll, 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 I'll move this guy to steals. What I didn't think of was that there was this horde of people at three behind me and that the best way to separate myself from that group was K's. And so in the last minute, I put Michael Massey above Louis Varland. Uh, and if I'd had, that was a, a $3,500 mistake for me. Uh, because if I'd had Louis Varland in, I would have gotten the two K's. I would have gotten second outright. Instead, I fell into a three-way tie for third. I feel Ooh. okay that that, you know, that was um, my first try at a main, you know, I feel okay that like I did, I did okay. Um, but what really the, and it's tempting to be like, oh, I should have just streamed and that was the wrong decision. But the real wrong decision, the reason, real reason why I was low in Ks was because I streamed all year. And I, I was chasing streaming and I thought my model will tell me which pictures are hot. My model will tell me which guys to stream. It'll be great. I'll just use that uh, to stream to to use it to eat to to give me more Ks. And what I found consistently was the the market for streamers, the weekly market for streamers, was awful. I yep. was always looking at Paolo Espino, Paolo Espino, Paolo Espino. <laughs> I don't want Paolo Espino. <laughs> and so that I fell behind in Ks while streaming which didn't make any sense to me but it was because i was buying these guys that would pitch three or four innings a lot of these streamers i think it's a little bit about the way the baseball has changed you know used to be a streamer would at least give you five or six innings and at least give you four or five k's you know now you can get a streamer where they'll go three innings and give you two k's and you're just like that is not useful i'd much rather have just like a jason adam type in there yeah. that would give me more than this streamer that got two starts and then on top of that, I noticed that while I was looking at the two-start guys, the one-start guys were of much higher quality. And I would have done better just to buy a one-start guy, hold him on my roster for a week, and start him the next week for two starts or whatever, you know? Right. So I would have just done, basically done better to just acquire quality and not be thinking about streaming. 
Yeah. And so that was uh, something that I'm going to change next year is uh, less streaming. And then a, a little bit with the humidors, I think I got that wrong. Um, I didn't, I think, I didn't, I didn't think there would be a, a huge change in humidors. There was enough of a change in humidors where I was lower in home runs. I usually win home runs. Uh, that's like mostly my strategy is to like dominate home runs and RBI. Uh, because they're correlated so so tightly. So if you do well in home runs and RBI and pick up steals along the way, uh, you know, you're usually pretty good. Uh, this year I had a couple teams where I was middle of the pack or lower in home runs, and I was just like, that's weird. So I don't know if I need to make home runs more by priority in this, like, humidor environment um, or if I just uh, need to trust the projections again this year because the projections will – take in the information and, and, and update, you know, maybe it was just a one year blip that the projections couldn't catch up to it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's always tough to wonder exactly what goes into it. You know, there's, there's so many things I like to look at and am I, if I don't know if it's in the projections, am I double counting it? You know, if I'm, if I'm waiting a guy a little too much because, Oh, that's already in there, but I don't know. Do they, do they incorporate stuff like you know pull barrels and you know like I I don't know I really I really would love yeah to know I, I don't I don't think I don't think a lot of people are doing horizontal spray angle in that way um they, you know they probably have uh, exit velocity and you know it is is sometimes a black box but then on top of that there's a new corollary like we had last year we don't know what humidors are going to do right and so we tried to guess and we had an outcome and now this year we don't know what the bags uh pitch clock you know like th there's like three four things going on at the same time that we don't know what they're going to do and do we try to get out in front of it um and i think you have to try to get out in front of it but if you go all in and you just have like you know a thousand max monsies on your team just because of the the new shift rules like maybe you've gone too far so uh yeah i agree with you it's it's kind of hard and i know that like for example i know that Derek cardi is looking at shifts and he's saying okay this is what these guys did with the shift on this is what they did the shift off you know i can get a sense of at the arizona fall league Derek cardi talked about i can get a sense of that anthony rizzo you know could be like a 250 hitter without the shift um except he has to decide how much to regress that and he doesn't know there's no there's no guide hasn't been done before so he you don't want to go all in and say exactly what happened with the shift off in the past is what's going to happen in the future for anthony rizzo so you have to regress it somehow but you don't know what you're regressing so even the guys that are doing the projections my point is they're doing some guesswork so if we right. do guesswork on top of that guesswork <laughs> it's going to get a little dirty yeah you get further i think next year is going to be a really weird year yeah 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 and i think i heard you on on your last pod on the catchers and utility pod talking about you know, um, not only looking at the shift data for, um, you know, any batter, but what it looks like when they don't get shifted. Because I always, you know, it's like we see all these expected stats. This would have happened if that guy wasn't there. But then we have this data that says, hey, this is what happens when that guy isn't there. And should we be leaning more into that, you know, data than... Well and then the problem with that is like a guy who shifted 90% of the time, they're shifted 90% of the time. So then you're looking at like 10% yeah. of their sample being like, oh, that's what's <laughs> going to happen. And a lot of times the reason they're not shifted is because there's a runner on base, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so if they're, if, if there's, if that's the only reason they're not being shifted, you know, sometimes it's easier to hit with runners on base for other reasons too. 
Yeah. And maybe that's a maybe that's a worse pitcher. Right. You know, because a worse pitcher allowing runners on base, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I was listening to um the compound podcast with Ian Happ and he was talking about, you know, a, a couple things about the shift, like the psychology of it, just not seeing a huge amount of guys on that side and just being a little more confident as a batter and like something you can't put a number on. But they were also talking about, yeah, that that four hole in between first and second being open on certain, um, you know, when there's a certain guy on and there's certain outs, you know, he said there's just more more opportunity for those hits to be there now. Um, and it's all stuff that obviously we we won't be able to, you know, really um, quantify. But I was just wondering because a lot of, you know, they were also talking about how you have to place the ball perfectly if there's a shift there, if you still want to pull it and then how guys don't like going the opposite way because they don't get their best swings in. But like one category, I know everyone expects, you know, the average to take up a little bit, but what do you guys think about power in general? Like if you don't see that shift and now you're not saying in your head, I have to hit it over everyone. And you're just saying, I just got to get a good swing on a guy who gets shifted a lot, like a Corey Seager, you know, will his power come down a little bit because of that? Because he's just going to maybe get more hits and just look for those opportunities. I know that's another psychological type approach, but what's your guys thoughts on that? I hadn't really considered that as, as something yet, but yeah, there's all these secondary effects. There's all these things that players are going to do to try and counteract the adjustment, having that space available, seeing the field differently, changing the swings they're able to use in different situations that I think it's extremely hard to anticipate because I, I'm not a hitting expert. I'm far from it. I can't really see unless it's an extreme difference in a hitters, but two swings or three swings, I can't see those differences. I can't spot those differences. So it's really hard for me to know who's going to adjust the most to the different ways they're going to be played just from a, how they can actually swing the bat perspective, because a lot of that kind of analysis is probably the next frontier. Eventually we will know more about bat paths and swing types and, and swing velocities that will probably help us unlock some, at least some predictive metrics that would guide us in the right direction. But I think I'm pretty much flying blind as far as trying to anticipate how hitters are going to adjust. One thing that's been interesting in the past is that um, we've had a couple big things. Like we had the juice ball in 2016 to 2019. And so you, you're talking about like, what was the adjustment to that? Well, I think launch angle on the highest hit balls went up a half a degree. <laughs> so like that was the launch angle revolution. It was like a half a degree or a degree of launch angle. Um, and so, you know, and then I was looking at um, over time, we've like shifting, shifting, more and more shifting, more and more shifting. How many people have started going the other way? Uh, and, and especially on ground balls. And it was up like, three percentage points so um generally i think that the secondary stuff takes a long time uh to happen and um it's very like like derek says very hard to to predict so uh for the most part i'm going to try and focus just on what you were saying earlier what would happen if people played last year with next year's rules you know, because I think like the, the secondary stuff we may not see for five years. Like there's stuff like, you know, like you could play uh, an outfielder where the second baseman used to play. And I just don't see 
teams doing that in year one because that risks a lot of uh, risks a lot of um, extra base hits. If somebody gets it to the outfield over in the left field, you just took your left fielder and you put him where the second baseman is. It risks a lot of extra base hits and it's risky and people don't like to do risky things and fail. It's something you see in football a lot. Like everyone's all the analytics people are yelling, go for it on fourth, go for it on fourth. And there are a couple teams that do it, but there are also all these other teams that are like, if I go for it on fourth all the time and fail, y'all are going to, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> so if I pull this guy from over here and I put him over here and we lose on an extra race hit over there, like all the media is going to be up my butt after the game uh, talking about, I made the wrong decision. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that the, the more crazy stuff that we're going to see, we're going to see in years three, four and five, I think. Yeah. Like possibly a man in motion. <laughs> like what is it? When the ball is released, that technically when you don't have to be where you're not supposed to be. Yeah, but short stop I, running to the other side of the bag. <laughs> I hope not. He'll start running like yes. midway through third and second and just get like a good, he'll get his sprint speed up <laughs> and he'll just yeah, get a cue from the pitcher. <laughs> like, let me know when up. you start going. I'm just going to time this. And <laughs> that, that would be an ACL when he tries to go back because <laughs> the ball goes behind him. I'm just imagining the momentum just carrying you so far into right field that you can't make the play anyway. Like, yeah, you, you fielded the ball, you were in the right spot, but you couldn't get a throw off across your body to get the runner at first. So it was just a single. Maybe, maybe you saved a double, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> I hope we don't see that. A man in motion would be really wild. Um, so you know, do, do you think there's a specific pitcher that may be affected or less affected by? having the shift there, like a ground ball pitcher or guys who just obviously strike out artists are always the main goal. But do you see anyone maybe thriving a little more than usual? Uh, a couple of pitchers come to mind. Uh, Frambois Valdez comes to mind just because he doesn't strike out a ton of hitters. Um, but one thing he has going for him is uh, he's a lefty. So I think generally the rules uh, are going to put pressure on strikeout rate and uh, and make lefties more valuable. So Fromber is like kind of in between where he's a lefty, so he can suppress some of that lefty stuff, but he's also gives up balls in play. So I wouldn't be surprised to see his uh, BABIP go up and maybe not be as great of a pitcher next year. Um, but then just generally, um, you know, where does that put Jordan Montgomery and, uh, you know, some of these middle tier lefties? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure because the arrow's kind of pointing in different directions. But I do know that teams, for example, uh, that in the past have been happy with all righty relievers uh, in the bullpen are now looking for lefty relievers. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's already some of the stuff being thought out. And generally, uh, um, the way that I'm trying to do with it, because I'm doing some rankings uh, for an early um, a project for uh, The Athletic, doing some pitching rankings. And in the past, I've uh, maybe overvalued stuff because there have been guys who do it with command and especially as the ball has become less juiced you know there have been guys where the home run rate isn't as high and they have success and so you know i've been like okay location matters you know command matters i shouldn't just ignore it this year i'm trying to actually emphasize stuff plus a little bit more because and stuff a little bit more because strikeout rate's going to matter so much people are going to have bad babbits they are going to be pitchers with bad babbits because they, they, you know, when we looked in the past at like, can a pitcher make sure all the balls go oppo or left, you know, or pulled, you know, that they, they haven't had as much of a, a control over that. Uh, but when it comes to 
um, you know, hitting the ball hard, that's command. Uh, but just generally, I want strikeouts next year, which is something I want every year. But this, right. is, this yeah. is especially true this year. Extra emphasis on it. Like, where do I put Tyler Wells? I don't know. I like him. The stuff says he's he's good, but he really didn't strike anybody out. So where do I put him in the rankings? That's a tough one. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to think of a, a righty ground baller with a low K rate who I previously liked. And I think Logan Webb just kind of popped into my head as someone that, that has a little bit of like a low K rate and does have the high ground ball rate. And as a righty, maybe, maybe he was benefiting more from previous shift rules. But then I started looking at the leaderboard just for overall results when, uh, when a pitcher had a shift behind him. I'm not at all surprised to see Tony Gonsolin had the best Woba in baseball last season with a shift. 199. It's incredible. A lot of the guys at the top of this leaderboard are on good teams that are, are just smart. And I think when I think about the shift, you're still going to make a decision to put a guy somewhere. Even if you can't bring the third infielder over to the other side of the bag anymore, you could still probably put the player in the right spot often enough to make the shift matter if you're a smart team. So is it going to be an equal impact across the board or is it going to be spread out depending on the quality of the analytics and then the people working for these various clubs? Because the, the teams that did well with this, the pitchers at the top of this leaderboard, we see Dodgers, we see Astros, we see these Braves, Guardians. The Yankees. Yeah, like it's not surprising. Like those are all the teams you'd expect to be there. When you flip the leaderboard upside down, like which pitchers were horrible, even with shifts behind them last year. I mean, Rockies, yeah, okay, it's Coors, and there's other other factors in play there. But it's a lot of bad teams. I mean, Patrick Corbin is also just a bad pitcher. So you see Nationals there. You see some Rangers there. You see some Royals there. So I don't know. Like, I, I think this is this is still going to be a big variable from team to team just based on the quality of the information they utilize when determining where to play players anyway. And I got into an, an online argument about Luis Urias. Uh, not Luis Urias, Julio Urias. And I, I really like him and, and my model really loves him. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this debate about whether or not pitchers can suppress uh, results on balls and play. You know, this is, an, a, you know, now entering its second decade of debate, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, this person was basically calling me stupid for uh, thinking that uh, I'm not sure that it's Urias's skill still or if it's a Dodger skill. And uh, I was pointing out that if you look at Dodgers as a team, their team batting average on balls in play is the best in baseball this year. It's the best in baseball over the last two years. It's the best in baseball over the last three years. It's the best in baseball over the last four years. It's the best in baseball <laughs> over the last five years. So like, you know, and he's like, yeah, well, they've had Urias and Kershaw on the team this whole time. And those guys are doing it. And I'm like, yeah, well, those guys pitched like 35% of the innings over the last five years. You want to give the lowest BABIP in baseball uh, on a team to the guys who are throwing a third of the innings on that team. I, I, I sort of think that there is a team effect when it comes to batting average on balls in play. And I'm very fascinated to see what happens with the new shift rules. But I would also assume that if these teams were so smart, they figured out shifting a really good way in the past that they would figure out how to like, like Derek is saying, they just figure out how to shift in the new rules. You know, right. they're, they're going to, they're going to be really good at putting the second baseman either closer to the second base or closer to first base They're You know, they're going to have like, I, when I was watching the playoffs, I watched the Dodgers in the outfield. And when Josh Bell was up with uh, before two strikes, they were staying somewhere. And then when he got to two strikes, they took four giant steps towards the line. You know, mm -hmm. so that's a huge amount of shifting in the outfield 
uh, and it's the same hitter from count to count. And then uh, they had two righties in a row and they took like five, six giant steps between these two righties in a row. So, you know, they they have very detailed heat maps and instructions all written on those armbands. And that's not really going away. So I do think Gonsolin probably has some tendencies where he gives up fly balls in certain places and they have guys standing there. And so, uh, you know, what's the over under on Gonsolin's Babbitt next year? I wouldn't put it at 300. I'd still put it below 300, even though 300 is the league wide number or 295 is the league wide number. I'd still give him something next year, but I don't think I'd give him whatever it was this year, like 220. That's interesting. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, we could look at the team data too. And then next year too, it's like, when, when will we know if it's a trend, if this is what a team is doing, if they're going to keep doing it, it just next year will be fun. Um, what about stolen bases? How are you guys anticipating stolen bases? I've heard you guys mention a little bit like, I think it like the middle of the pack, the eight to 10 or the eight to 15 stolen base guys might get more of a bump than the top level guys. You're going to uh, are you going to put an absolute number on, on, you know, are you just going to follow the projection systems? Yeah, I think Eno had a, a pretty good hypothesis about this that I'm fully on board with. So, you, you know, you can go ahead and, and outline that because um, it, it made a lot of sense to me when, when you put it out there. Yeah, I was just talking about how I think, like, you know, it, it's an extra four and a half inches. And I think, like, um, for the guys who get on base and steal all the time when they can, like Trey Turner, I don't know that the four and a half inches is going to change the math very much. You know, they go based on how fast the pitcher is to the plate and the pop time of the catcher. And uh, he's already deciding to go so much that I don't think that he's going to like, I don't think Trey Turner is going to steal 70 bases next year. Um, You know, I just I think the new math of baseball is. That, you know, if he was projected to steal 25, 30, now he'll steal 35, maybe 37, something like that more, but not, not doubling. I'm not going to double his, I am going to double a certain section of the population. And for me, that's um, the group where four and a half inches will make a big deal. And there's a certain speed uh, of sort of four and a half seconds, uh, around four and a half seconds to, 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 um, to first base those people have speed they steal three to five bags right now generally they take off sometimes but if you give them four and a half inches they may take off twice as much so uh you know there's there's some interesting guys in there like kyle schwarber had seven um stolen bases last year but he only took off four percent of the time that he could when he was on first base and there was an opportunity so that's somebody i could see like oh well he only took off four percent of the time but this you get to give him an extra four and a half inches he might take off you know, he might take off 8% of the time uh, and, and double that and be a 15 stingly guy. Now, it's only seven net stolen bases, but you're probably spending on like a three to five stolen base guy. And if you get 10, that's, you know, that's, a you know, percentage wise, a bigger increase. So, um, you know, there's definitely an interesting group of players in this uh, in this group here that, that are about four and a half seconds to first base. Is there any data uh, on... Still- Oh, sorry. Get I still think this is another thing where the team philosophy is still going to vary a lot too. Where even if we if we find we find the math and we look at the players that should have more opportunities, those green lights from each organization are not going to be given evenly, right? I mean, I think the Brendan Rogers came up on our pod a few weeks ago, and it's blown my mind that he doesn't steal any bases because. <laughs> 
he was like a 12 to 15 steal guy in the upper levels of the minor leagues. He was an efficient base stealer. He's not slow. He's not a burner either. But it's just weird to me that he doesn't run. And I believe it was Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus. He reached out to me. He goes, yeah, the Rockies told him not to run. Like, well, he's the ex- weird. he's the same he has the exact ah. same last year he had the exact same time to first as Kyle Tucker. Jeez, yeah. Why wouldn't that guy run a little? <laughs> yeah, and then I even even in my list of guys that I was looking at that stole a little bit, uh, Raphael Devers had the exact same time to first as Vlad Guerrero Jr. Vladito took off for second eleven times. Devers took off four times. So wow. I think you're right about that for sure. Is there any is there any data on like the um, like the length of a lead a runner takes? I did pull something interesting because um, so now that there's this rule that you can only throw over uh, twice, and if you throw over a third time, you either get the runner or he gets awarded second on a block. That's an important rule though because for fantasy baseball players, those second bases awarded on a block are not stolen bases. <laughs> So <laughs> if your guy gets a third pitch over and gets to second base, it's not a stolen base. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I did pull this thing that said, you know, how many throws over, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, players are getting. Um, and um, let me see here. Uh, I, I looked at it and. Uh, so I found your tweet. Bubba Thompson was the leader in that. Bubba Thompson was the leader. Yeah. Uh, I did uh, revise after my tweet. I found uh, only with second base open. Okay. Okay. So uh, throws over only with second base over. Bubba Thompson av- averaged one point six throws per. So that's actually a pretty big deal, because uh, if you throw that means one point six, that means he gets a lot of second throws over in this new rule environment. If you got a second throw over, that next lead is going to be a half step further, right? Like he's right. gonna he's gonna be way out there. Um, but I think generally this may not affect a ton of people because Bubba Thompson only was on time on 40, 44 times, uh, at, at, uh, at first base or second base open. If you look at like regulars, uh, you have Trey Turner as leader, uh, and he had 144 times and they threw over 1.3 times. Um, and basically there were 12 base dealers, 12 regular players that got more than one throw over per time on base. So that means I think 12 guys will be pushing the buttons on the pitchers, maybe 15 guys, but not like 30 or 40 guys. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, like Trey Turner, that's the fun. guy we think might steal yeah. like 70 bases or something. Right. He might, maybe he'll steal so many. He only got 1.3 throws over. That means that means a lot of the time he was on base 144 times. That means like a hundred of the times he only got one throw. Interesting. It, uh, that's going to be interesting. Especially what you said with the third, that third pickoff. I mean, right. And if he gets the third uh, throw and it's a block, you're like, dang it. You know yeah. how many times we're going to be, we're going to be yelling at the screen, especially if you do DFS and you're like, I got turned tonight. He's going to steal base. And they give it on a balk. You're like, ah, <laughs> you just need them to come around to score, right? You just need those boxes <laughs> right. to runs, and then they pay off that way. And I picture like Willie Mays Hayes, like kind of like daring, you know, moving up, you know, as far as you can, like daring to pitch you to do something. It's uh well, that's the, a league source told me that the the reason they have that third throw the way that it is that you can throw over a third time is because they think it'll be still be a deterrent because right. you can't 
get too far off the base, get a pick off and get picked off. So they think that the the bat the the they think that basically the leads won't get that much bigger because you still have to be able to get back. Right. Right. Um what do you guys think about the pitch clock and having pitchers have to throw their max effort shorter than normal? Do you think that's going to put any additional stress and injuries to pitchers? I am of the belief that it it would if pitchers didn't know about this going into an off season where they can train differently and plan right. differently and potentially take a little bit off, right? I think maybe instead of the the flood of injuries that people are worried about from guys continuing to throw their max, guys might actually throw a little softer. And as a result of that, maybe we'll see fewer injuries or we'll see injuries remaining the same. I mean, some guys are going to probably keep doing exactly what they were doing, but I think a lot of pitchers, especially starting pitchers, are going to have to find ways to make small adjustments. And uh, I'm I'm not I'm not like changing my approach to how much pitching I have or how early I draft pitching because of fear of, of increased injuries. I, I, I want to see how it plays out. I actually think it's going to be less detrimental to pitcher health than the most pessimistic people are projecting. Yeah, there was only uh, really like uh, two or three starting pitchers. One of them was Otani. You know, you know, I wasn't gonna, I'm not gonna put a down arrow on Otani. I don't think because of the pitch <laughs> clock. So put your name uh, on. Come on. The 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 one that uh, the the group that really did uh, is the slowest right now are old relievers, and uh, you know, Kenley Jansen is one of the slowest in baseball, and so. I think I will maybe put a slight down arrow on old relievers, but generally um, I I'm always trying to get the last reliever in the elite tier, or I'm trying to get the one of the last relievers in each tier. And generally I found those are younger ones that my model likes because they're so they're small sample and that the, the league that the market hasn't caught up to yet, you know? So mm-hmm. last year I had a, I had a ton of Jordan Romano. Because I was like, no, you know, the model says he has elite stuff. He's going to be the closer, and he's going as the like fifth or sixth closer, and that's exactly where I want to be. So this year, I want to identify that fifth or sixth closer, and I doubt it's going to be an old guy. You know, right. it almost never is. Um, and so, you know, what what what'll happen uh, if I'm now looking for my second closer, and it's you know. Um, the 10th round and Kenley Jansen is there and he signed somewhere where they said he's a closer. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely, uh, used definitely using your stuff plus, uh, with the, with, uh, my early draft so far with help with some late, late round stabs and, and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's really powerful relievers. Yes. I mean, relievers. It's the best. Yeah. I think I, you know, I remember you mentioned that in your podcast, just talking about that and, I think one of the first early cases was Batista, you know, where it's like you, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm picking this Best guy stuff up. Plus baseball him on the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put him on the bench, you know, but uh, yeah. it, even, even for like a lot of, uh, uh, I know the, the, the Rays always are going to do something crazy, but they've had had their stretches where they, they use one guy for at least 60% of the time. And last year, Fairbanks, you know, was just otherworldly in the second half. Um, again, a guy who's one of my, you know, my, um, using your stuff. Plus one of the guys I've been targeting in that 250 ADP area where, you know, whatever you can get 15 saves, you know, um, a 
kind of like the same spot Kittredge was last year. Um, it's just like a different name on a different <laughs> on the race, <laughs> you know. But yeah, uh, it could just get injured like Kittredge, but right, right, definitely. And there's actually been no news update on him since his last uh, injury in the season. So, but um, speaking of stuff plus, you know, I know you mentioned that you're going to do some stuff plus projections this year. Um, I just wanted to know, like, if you could talk about anything about what's going to go into it and uh, what could we expect from this wonderful piece of news? Uh, well, I have some uh, fun news to just share uh, for the first time. Uh, Jordan Rosenblum uh, mm, yeah. uh, is uh, he's on he's uh, he's Rosen Jordan Bloom yep. uh, or Jordan in Finland on 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 Twitter. Uh, is going to uh, make uh, pitching projections using uh, the Pitching Plus algorithm. Um, oh, nice. I think that's really important. He's done it before, and he's found that it can beat other projections because it improves strikeouts and walks a lot. Uh, that makes sense. It's, you know, stuff plus is the underlying, you know, stuff that goes into strikeout rate. You know, like, how good is your, how good is your stuff? And location plus is, you know, how good you locate the pitch, and that's has a lot to do with your walk rate. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think his work in the past, he's already done some work on it, but these will be uh, some some uh, specific projections he's making for us um, specifically. And I think one thing that will help with is that um, what I've found with is that pitching plus, stop plus, location plus, they're really powerful with pitcher, with relievers from year to year. Um, but they it's not as powerful with uh, starters from year to year it's more powerful with starters in season. Um, and mm -hmm. what I want to do is bridge that gap with projections. I want to take, you know, some of the results, strikeouts, singles, doubles, some of that stuff. I want to get some on-field results and pair that with uh, the process, strikeout, stuff plus and location plus, and get a better idea of uh, of, of starting pitchers from year to year. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, that, that's something I do in my head when I do my rankings. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of looking at, like, I look at, for example, something that I look at that I'd never show in my rankings. I look at fastball stuff plus separate. Mm -hmm. And it just gives me a sense of like whose fastball is in decline, uh, who's, uh, who's aging, you know, how their aging process is going. Why is there stuff plus what it is? Um, and you'll notice that somebody like, Hayden Wesnensky is somebody I really love. His stuff plus is really high. He looks like a really great pitcher, but his fastball stuff plus is not amazing. So he's already, even as a young pitcher, kind of a guy who's going to get by with using his secondary pitches. What does that mean for me when I rank him? Do I rank him behind somebody like Ruanzi Contreras or Luis Ortiz or some of these other guys who have really high stuff numbers, but also have a high fastball stuff plus number? Um, and that's something that Jordan can do when he jumps into the numbers. He can take the pitchers apart and start looking at which pitch types are stickier year to year. If fastball stuff plus is more important year to year, that's stuff I've been doing in my head. Now he can kind of do it in projection format. That's awesome. Jordan's a very smart dude. Uh, spoken to him. I know, I know I, uh, I love heading over to his, um, I think he just did a piece for prospects live and he also has it on his website, scout the stat line where he shows the peak projections of players you know it's just it's just fascinating to know he puts all this data in historical data and trying to reach um you know for dynasty leagues it's it's really cool to look at to see oh, what yeah. you know it's yeah, a really good tool to use and uh it's smart so that's that's great i'm excited that's gonna be fun yeah fun so that's a fun fun thing to announce on your pod yeah, yeah all right big news big news uh, 
DVR, you always talk about conditional formatting. And my question, I've always wanted to know, you know, what, what are you using when you do the formatting? Because there's options, you know, you could, for the min and the midpoint and the max point, do you use values, percentiles, whole numbers? Does it matter? Or like a stat category? Um, and how do you break it down into percentiles? So I don't go that far with it. I oh, you don't? It. Okay, I, okay. I, so I we've talked about using different tools as um, you know a hammer versus a chisel, and I use conditional <laughs> formatting more as a hammer. I'm just using it to sort of add a little life to a spreadsheet that would be visually horrible to look at. And I spend so much time looking at spreadsheets. I just want some some gen like generic visual cues. So I do use it for every stat that I've got. But I use the default just green to red, like right. the Google Sheets built-in functionality. Yeah, set customs, even though I know I could or should. Um, I feel like it it serves me well enough the way I'm using it to use mm -hmm. it at its very like most basic function. That makes I'm total sense. Like, okay, what do you do with yours? Because maybe I'm missing out on some opportunities. No, maybe because I, I noticed this is yeah. Because this is why I switched it, and I too am very, um, you know, um, I'm a I'm a carpenter, so I just got into spreadsheets like two or three years, and you know, so any same thing. I needed to add color to it, and um, it's definitely a quick way to see, you know, red or green across the board. And, uh, but I noticed that it, it happened when I got really into it is because I noticed that one guy was kind of white where I knew in my head that he was like in the 75th, 80th percentile of the stat. And I said, why, why is that off? You know? So I went into it and then I went into that, you know, into the values and I said, Oh, I'm like, you could change this stuff. I didn't know that. And, um, you know, like a lot of the things, um, I'm real, uh, into like the, uh, Ron Chandler's Babs and, um, like the Mayberry method that baseball HQ likes to employ. And, um, Ron Chandler is always talking about like finding the extreme, you know, 90th percentile, 10 percentile guys. So I just went to specific stats and tried to like, see what it looked like, um, in terms of their actual percentile in the stat. And then I've noticed that certain stats I had to make uh, the percentile instead of the whole numbers because the min points were just off, you know, like it wasn't a, like a league average number. So I went stat by stat and just found like what was the league average there and saw if that 50 min point was off, you know, and I just tried to adjust it to make it sense, you know, um, I don't no, know. I, I know what you're saying completely because, uh, you know, like stuff plus has a larger range to it than location plus. And so, you know, when I, uh, when I do the conditional formatting, if I'm not careful about it, um, all the like higher stuff plus will be like super green. Yes. And then, uh, location plus will just be, uh, be all white yep. because it, because it's, <laughs> because it's trying to use the same scale, but they're not on the same scale. So, um, you know, I, yeah, that is something to be careful of. And then, and then if you like, if you do it, if you do it wrong and like some guy's just an outlier, then it's like super red and you're like, Ooh, don't like that. Don't like that guy. But you're like, Oh, he's, he's not, you know, he's not that bad. And or, or maybe it's just a small sample, you know, whatever. So, you know, um, yep. yeah, you, you gotta be, you gotta, I, I think it is worth thinking about, but it is, it, it does help. Um, it's really helps me in my pitching ranks because um, I, you know, I can see like, when is a red flag worth it? Like in my first uh, 10 pitchers, I don't want to see a single red flag. Like yep. why should I have a red flag there anywhere? Agreed. You know, why yep. should there be any red there? 
Um, and then, you know, once you get going, you're like, where is red acceptable? Where do I want red in stuff or do I want red in, in locations? And, um, and then, you know, once I see, uh, my rankings through the lens of that, it like, you know, it's like that, that, uh, that that meme with the numbers coming down from hangover yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. i just see the numbers i just see them like i see the 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 pattern in my matrix and you know it always leads to like my uh my sleepers are all ranked from 75 to 85 because that's where i feel comfortable leaving the projections behind a little bit and i'm like 75 to 85 is where you know we're now you know, picking outside the top five pitchers for most leagues, you know, now you're picking a bench pitcher. Now you can take a shot and and take one of these young guys instead of being like, oh, I could take, you know, Zach Eflin, who's projected for $3.80, or maybe I'll take Shintaro Fujinami, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know or, or maybe I'll take Ken Waldachuk, you know, so uh, you know, I could see that in my rankings with the greens. So, you know, I have a pocket of, uh, of sleepers between 75 and 85 and it's all green and stuff there because I, that's where, how I look for my sleepers a lot of times. And then I have another pocket at 120 to 125 for deeper leagues where I'm like, these are your deeper league sleepers. Nice. Yeah. So I'm just using it to try and avoid obvious blind spots in either direction. Mm-hmm. Highly ranked players that have a flaw that I might be missing just because I assume that they don't have one or uh, low rent players who do something exceptionally well. I think maybe a good example from last year would have been John Birdie. It was right there. Like if you if you use conditional formatting and you see John Birdie where most people like had all red, red and then just dark green, Big green. Heels, <laughs> but a nice a nice like firm green also on obp and i think a lot of times uh, yeah. our speedsters don't get on base enough to use their speed and i think that was a good indicator like hey you know maybe maybe i was previously wrong about birdie as this is the kind of late breakout guy that had some limitations because there was there was some supporting evidence to him continuing to get playing time and putting himself in a position to use his best tool at least for our purposes uh, and it, it turned out i didn't have birdie I probably had him in like one league last year, which is a shame, but it was there. At least I had a shot at him. Whereas previously I would have written him off completely. No, it definitely makes sense. And, and, and it's, it's, it's playing into my head a little bit too, because like you said, you know, you don't want to see any, you know, red really up at the top with your picks. And on, on my sheet, I have a, um, like a, a plus or minus from max EV from last year to this year. And also from like historic, like pre prehistoric, max ev like not just last year and i looked across i saw i saw this big red on manny machado I was like what is that red and he's like zoomed in it was his max ev like seven miles an hour down from last year whoa. yeah and i was like whoa why did this happen you know and it's just like nothing else speaks bad things about his profile but wow. that was so alarming that i was like oh this good old conditional format and picked that up you know because he was like yeah. minus seven from last year with like a certain amount of batted balls. Yeah. So I hadn't caught that. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you guys about Shohei Otani. So in my end of season um, SGP for draft champion ranks, he was uh, the fifth starting pitcher and the 18th batter. I just wanted to know like with possibly being on the move or even if the angels were to give him some double starts and maybe he picks up five or, you know, four or five more starts. Um, you could you could reasonably say it could be the SP one, and would you think that would make more people use him as a pitcher um, versus a batter? 
think it could. I think the the best thing about Otani in a weekly league is ending up if you you lose an ace, which happened to me on a team where I had him. You have a built-in yes. backup that you cannot get off the waiver wire. Um, and if you draft him as a pitcher and you end up with pretty good pitching and you lose a, a big bat, you can swing him back the other way. I don't think the extra starts would change a whole lot about him. I think individual team needs would dictate that. I just don't know if they can push the workload any more than they do. It seems to me that going every six day is as much something that he wants because that's the schedule he's used to as it is something the angels would want. Like I, I kind of assume the angels would use him every fifth day if, if he wanted to go that often. Um, so I don't want to you know, assume that unless you know he comes out and the organization comes out and says, that's the plan. I can look at what we saw workload wise from him in 2022 as probably a, a game started and games played sort of ceiling. That's the only other thing he could do if he became more efficient, maybe he could add more innings, but I don't know. If we but that'd be like in the same amount of starts. Like he would just add right. more innings in, in yeah. the starts, go deeper in starts. Yeah. I can't, I don't know. I think it would have to, he'd have to be with a new team. Yeah. Right. I think a new have to be with a new team. I think the angels, this is where they've come upon. You put him in city field with a good park too. And forget it. He, <laughs> he, he really might be looked for as a, as a pitcher. Um, but I agree with you, Derek, that it's, um, a couple of my draft champions teams where I'm like got decimated with injuries and it it becomes that oh I do would I rather use Chad Pinder at utility or Mike Miner <laughs> you know and it be and it becomes those you know it becomes those options but like you said at least you have this built-in you know SP1 coming into your team when you need it uh he came in handy a whole bunch for sure I I just you know in general I I wonder he's so interesting because the 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 like injury comes from fatigue, you know, fatigue right. is injury. And that's something that's related to the pitch clock thing. That's why I know people like Dr. Mike son, who now works for the Cubs. He's, he's very anti-pitch clock. Cause he says it's going to lead to fatigue. It's going to lead to injury. Um, and so pushing Otani could lead to injury, but you're not pushing him relative to other pitchers and you're not pushing him relative to other hitters. You're just pushing him because of both. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Like, you're not, you're, he's not out there throwing 120 inning, uh, pitches per start or, or throwing 240 innings in a season. Like he's not doing anything like that. In fact, he's very, you know, he's middle of the pack or, or, or lower in those regards, but, uh, but he's also hitting. So, you know, but do we actually know the science of how much is that? It's fatigue to different muscles, right? Yeah. It, right. it has to have some impact, but yeah, how much impact does it have on everything that matters for pitching that he hits and hits the way he does as often as he does? Yeah, like we just don't have, like, would it really hurt? Uh, would it really hurt uh, Mookie Betts if he bowled competitively every day? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good Probably question. Probably not much. <laughs> What does bowling put on the body? You know, I guess we'd have right. to ask. Them. Yeah. We'd have to find some bowling documentaries and uh, listen yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's people studying this, and I'm sure there's somebody somewhere on some team saying, "No, we can push him more. Get, get him. We can. We can use him more." Uh, and I, I always thought maybe he could be a reliever where he could play every day as a hitter, you know, and pitch uh, seventy innings as a reliever. May not be as valuable as having him as a starter, but it may be a little bit easier to work around because that's how they do it in college, right? You know, a lot of lot of 
like left fielders, shortstops, you know, those type of people come in and, and close the game out. Right. Makes sense. He's still a marvel either way, uh, Otani. Um, yeah. Just uh, he's awesome. He's awesome to have on your team in any format that it is. It's, I know it's too bad that NFPC format is like the worst format for him. For him, exactly. It is. And <laughs> but what the thing is, is is I always hear people complaining about his well, not complaining, but knocking down the eligibility as both because they say, but then you have these wasted stats. It's like, but why don't you focus on the stats he's giving you as a pitcher rather than what you're losing as a batter? You know, it's just I feel like we fight all the time to get these Luis Julius types that plays three spots, and this guy pitches in bats and <laughs> He's like, right. can we sell yeah. Can we celebrate the guy? Like this, this. Yeah, Derek has a great story about about uh, about uh, Otani this year and how he helped him. Well, yeah. Helped him one way and used him another. It almost saved me in the auction championship. It, it, it was, I probably made the decision a little too late. I was probably too conservative in flipping the switch and, and using him every week as a pitcher. I think I switched him in late July. If I had done it, maybe in earlier mid June. The story of my 2022 might have been just a, a little bit different, but I, I think it's so hard to quantify just how valuable it is to have a player like that. I mean, I think multi-position hitters still tend to be a little bit underrated for years. I think Todd Zola and I talked about this on the Rotowire pods, and it was always kind of like, a, let's add a buck or two to the projection uh, value on draft day just to account for it, but we, we just didn't feel like we ever had it completely pinned down. I, that might be underselling it, and I think with Otani, I mean, think about all the the fantasy exceptions across all sports. Maybe the biggest one ever that I can remember was Marcus Colston back in the day in fantasy wow. football was tight end eligible, <laughs> and that was that was before like tight end changed the position. He was like and a that, tight end quarterback. He was a legit receiver, receiver, playing, tight, tight end, end eligibility, and he was just amazing. Oh, don't you remember Josh Willingham? Josh Willingham did it right. So it all like these the outfielder stuff. with the catcher eligibility. But this is like all of those like rare exceptions with a star at two things. And right. It yeah. our minds like every day. And it somehow yep. we're just like, no, we can't use them for both in these leagues. And that sucks. It's like, no, it, this is still pretty awesome. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, you, you brought up about making the decision not to use him maybe at the right time of the year. And, you know, I'll spin it back to what you were talking about before Um with with you know using the wrong guy that last three days and um last year in my main event um what i did was i think like in the last two months i put i i downloaded everybody's roster and in like inserted the rasball projections for the week and i would try to get a total for each team just to have an idea of maybe where i need to be you know so i was trying to project myself it's like Okay, if I if I take away those double star pitchers, or if I take away, uh, you know, one SP and put in a Michael King type, you know, how is it going to affect me versus everyone? And it got me a little more. Maybe if the math didn't work out perfectly, but it helped me understand. I think what can move in those last couple of days, you know, and be more cognizant of the of those guys, the cluster that's behind you and ahead of you, a little more easier. Louis Varland. Louis Varland. I mean, now you're gonna have to name your team Louis Varland. <laughs> That's right. Next year, my next year main will be Louis Varland. <laughs> um, all right. So, last topic I wanted to talk about: pull, pull side versus um, oppo barrels. Um, and I pulled up some league averages for the home runs for the oppo barrels and the home runs for pull barrels. Um, is you know, pull pull balls leave the stadium a little easier. Um, 
and it does a lot more damage. Um, pull hitters, baby, for life. But I uh, just wanted to know if you guys had anyone that you're kind of concerned about, either their power output or just their general overall profiles losing some value um, if they can't, you know, maybe start pulling the ball a little more. I've started to think about it just with Jose Abreu because the underlying power metrics look really good. A smart team, the Astros goes out and gets some pretty early in free agency. And I'm, I'm wondering, it's not, I guess it doesn't answer your question. It just asks another, does he adjust his approach enough to take advantage of the ballpark? I would imagine the Astros think that he might and that he will be valuable and productive even if he doesn't. I think that's what I'm starting to consider with just pulling the ball in general. And I, Again, not not really an answer to your question, but he's just one of those guys where I'm like, okay, is this what I'm looking for? Am I looking for this set of stat cast numbers if I'm going to put some stock in a player making an adjustment where there's still something pretty solid to fall back on, even if he doesn't make the adjustment? Makes sense. Yeah, the the, the opposite field fly ball um, leaderboard is it's kind of amazing because of uh, how many questions it answers and, uh, and asks. Kristen Yelich was sixth in oppo fly balls last year in percentage of his fly balls that were oppo. Uh, and that might have something to do with why similar way to the Bray, we look at his numbers and we say, Oh, look, the barrel rates pretty good. You know, the EV is pretty good. Is he back? Uh, no. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple of young guys on here where you're like, Cabrian Hayes, the max EV is good. The bra power is good. What is he doing? Oh, he's fifth in opposite field fly balls. Alec Thomas came up and, you know, some of the stuff looks good, but, oh, he's first in opposite field fly ball rate. You know, DJ LeMayhew, he really fell off. Why is he only hitting 10? Oh, he's seventh in opposite field fly ball rate. Um, you know, Andrew Benatendi's on this list. Stephen Kwan's on this list. Alec Bohm. Almost any guy that you've been like, man, this guy, like, I think he has some power, but he's not showing it. They're on this list. Um, and so, you know, for most of those, I've, it's tempered my thought of like, you know, how many, how much power they can have. Uh, the guys that I've still kind of beating my head against the wall are Brian Hayes, because he's young and I'm hoping he can change that approach. Alec Thomas, I guess, similarly. Um, Seiya Suzuki, I'm wondering if he can uh, pull more fly balls. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really the, the, that's it. Otherwise, if you're on this list, I'm not as interested in you, Brian mm. Anderson, AJ Pollock, uh, Brendan Rogers, Ryan McMahon. I mean, they have the Colorado asterisk, I guess, but, uh, otherwise, you know, I don't think this group is going to hit for much power next year either. Suzuki and Cabrian Hayes and Alec Thomas are the only ones that I, I question because it's a small sample for them, basically. You know, Spencer Torkelson, he's on this list. And it's a big problem for him because especially in Detroit, right center is an awful place to hit a ball. Um, and so you know, he needs to really change his approach, you know. But right. I think maybe the young guys have a chance of changing the approach more than the older guys. But will they? Mm. I don't know. Very good point. It's a bad list to be on. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> the, the good old bad list. Oh, I felt like be right there with Nikki Lopez. Oh, no, no. We don't want to be anywhere near, near Nikki, Nikki Lopez. Um, but I appreciate you guys coming on with me. Been trying to 
coordinate this for a while. I know we always run into some snag, but um, appreciate your guys' times and um, everything you do for the community and for our baseball lovers. It's uh, seriously, um, thank you so much. You guys are the best. Thanks for having us, Rob. Yeah, All righty, fellas. Um, when are you guys get into drafts? I probably will do one in about two weeks. Like okay. I'll get into a DC before Christmas that will hopefully end before Christmas morning. <laughs> so that way I'm not like looking away from Zoom calls with family and and oh, yeah. messing around <laughs> on my phone. Then, so. then don't do the four hour one. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away I from the sit down. I just want to do a whole start to finish. Like I, I'll I'll carve out five hours and just do it. But I don't know if I can find fourteen people that want to sit still for that long. Yeah, because you end up spending even if it's a slow draft, you end up spending a lot of time with with the picks, you know, because you kind of like micro analyze, like analyze everything, and you yeah. spend more time with each pick than you when you do a fast draft. And I don't know all my fast. I've done three fast DCs, and I've won every single one of them. It's like something that I don't know if just random luck, but I love the fast ones too. I I'd rather just do it all in one shot and rather than spend all that time. But it is a big chunk of time to take out, for sure. I don't like doing them uh, on low information, uh, but right. it is a, a muscle to uh, to work. I think. Yeah. So it's, it's you don't want to fall out of you don't want to you want to stay on top of the 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 player pool. You want to know what's going on. So, um, yeah, I think uh, after the winter meetings, uh, there will be enough player movement where I'll have you know enough of a sense of where people are going that I can I can start one up. Yeah, because that's the biggest thing. You're just looking at some of my friend's draft boards, and I'm like, I gotta, I, I gotta get in there. Cause like this, this guy shouldn't be going here. I gotta get this guy there. You know, like, <laughs> all those values. And even if you're just a little bit more prepped than the rest of the room, you you know, you still have a a decent edge, even if it's not on all the players that you may want. You know, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. So again, appreciate you guys, and uh, good luck for the rest of the year, and have a happy holidays. You too. Yeah, you too. Alrighty, folks, that will conclude another episode of the Poor Hitter Podcast. I hope you enjoy what we're bringing to you in this offseason, getting ready to prep for the 2023 season and looking back at 2022 season, just having wonderful baseball conversations. Tomorrow night, we're doing a live draft on the NFBC format, the Gladiator format, 23 picks, 14 batters, 9 pitchers. That's all you have for the season, and it's going to be a blast. Um... Fellow members of the Triple Crown Fantasy crew, Steve Weimer, Phil Dussault would be involved. Um, Zach Waxman is in it with uh, Ryan Roof as well. Got my man Todd Whitestone, host of co-host with me of the main event Fab Review during the season. He is going to be hosting for us so we can concentrate on drafts. And Todd will be doing a great job of, you know, um, asking people questions and picking up on stuff as the draft unfolds. So. That draft will be tomorrow night, and the podcast will probably be out on Saturday. So, um, yeah, and hoping everyone is really being grateful and really is practicing empathy and compassion and humility, everything. Just be all the good things in the world and, you know, stop being a bag of shit.